welcome back to the Will Be Spoilers 100 Films, 100 Podcasts. My name is Matt Bazell. And I'm Ethan Knight. We are back with number two on the AFI Top 100 list of American films. That's 1972's The Godfather. The Godfather, number two. It's not called Godfather Part 1, but there will be a Part 2, which we've Mm -hmm. actually already passed up on the list, as many people know. We are going to return to that. This week, so you will get this Godfather week. Part 1 and Part 2. I I don't think we have any plans for Part 3. No, I don't think we do. I From what I remember, Part 3 is not worth watching. <laughs> it's like a dozen years after these two yeah it's a lot long a lot later and i think it's a, i think it's another very long movie i think it's like a four hour i mean this was what two and a half three this is three this was three and the one this the part two is 200 minutes i think how many hours is that two and a half over three over three so it's like six hours of godfather wow well i guess the next question is have you seen the godfather before I have a few times, but a while ago. I had not, never seen it before, but I was watching this with my wife and I was like, oh, this is the part where this happens. And she's like, well, how do you know this? And I was like, I feel like you just know it just by being a person in the world. It's kind of the whole conceit of the podcast. Because, yeah, I I think it's one of those films where, you know, the the beats are so, they've been so... um, like played out in a, well, and we'll talk about this. I'm sure uh, that yeah, it is just kind of in the cultural consciousness. Yeah. So if you're like me and you haven't seen the film before, why don't we get a plot synopsis to bring us all up to speed? Yeah, sure. Uh, so The Godfather is the story of Michael Corleone and his family, a prominent New York crime family. Michael, a Marine, generally stays out of his family's organized crime. The film begins with his sister Connie's wedding, during which his father, Don Vito, hears requests from Corleone associates. Mobsters, basically. Uh, Johnny Fontaine, a popular singer and godson to Don Vito, arrives at the wedding and asks for help securing a film role. Uh, Vito sends consigliere Tom Hagen to L.A. to convince studio head Jack Walls to give Johnny the part. Walls refuses uh, and wakes up in bed with the severed head of his most prized stallion. Uh, So he gives in. (laughs) Soon after, drug lord Salazzo, with the backing of the Tatalia crime family, solicits an investment and political protection from Don Vito, but Vito refuses. Uh, Instead, he sends one of his enforcers, Luca Brasi, to spy on the Tatalias, but Brasi is immediately killed. Uh, Salazzo kidnaps Hagen and has Vito gunned down in the street, leaving Vito's hot-headed son, Sonny, in charge. Vito survives the shooting, and Michael is able to save him once again when a hit is arranged on him in the hospital. A crooked police captain visits the hospital and breaks Michael's jaw, and Sonny puts a hit on Tatalia. Meanwhile, despite Michael's earlier distance from his family's crime, he plans to kill the police captain and Salazzo in one go. He sets up peace talks with them, but using a planted gun, kills the two at point-blank range. Michael is forced to flee the country due to his involvement, leaving behind his girlfriend Kay, uh, and his younger brother Fredo is sent to Nevada to learn casinos with Mo Green. 
uh, also for his protection. After Michael's attack, the five crime families begin open warfare. After discovering that Connie's husband has beaten her, Sonny threatens to kill him if it happens again. Carlo, her husband, beats her again, and when Sonny attempts to come to her rescue, he is gunned down on the highway. While Michael hides in Sicily, he marries a local woman, but she is killed in a car bombing intended for him. Vito tries to end the war with the five families, offering to join in on the drug trade and to forgo revenge in the case of Sonny, if Michael will be safe. Uh, Of course, everything goes according to plan. Michael returns, reunites with Kay, and promises that the family business will be legitimate in five years' time. As his father grows older and weaker, Michael begins to take the lead in the family business. He retires Hagen and visits Fredo, who has become more loyal to Mo Green than the family. In 1955, Vito dies of a heart attack. Michael is approached at the funeral by Tessio, who suggests uh, a meeting with Barzini. He's another mob don. His father had warned him of a meeting like this, and Michael, knowing he's being betrayed, sets the meeting up for the same day as the baptism of Connie's child, where Michael will serve as, you guessed it, the Godfather. During the service, uh, Corleone hitmen murder the other New York Dons, as well as Mo Green. Tessio is executed as well, and Michael uh, extracts a confession from Connie's husband that he had Sonny killed, or at least that he was involved in Sonny's killing. Michael has Carlo killed. Uh, Connie, hysterical, confronts Michael and tells Kay what he has done. Michael denies it to Kay, but as the film ends, she witnesses him being addressed as Don Corleone in the same study that his father used as Don. What happens in this film? Yes. I wouldn't really call it that plot heavy, though, because it's really just a few events, and it's just having these characters bounce off one another based on those inciting events. Yeah, I think you're right. It really isn't a, a film that's that's terribly plot heavy. It, it really is. It, you're right. It's very character driven with with these things sort of show. It, it's it's excuses to sort of show you who these characters are. Right, and to say more about who these characters are, we should mention some of the actors. Al Pacino yes. plays the lead role as Michael Corleone or Corleone because. Michael, Al Pacino's character, seems to call it Corleone, and everyone else seems to say Corleone, which I thought was funny that they couldn't agree on the pronunciation, even though it's supposed to be his last name. And I I guess, at least at first, we could maybe read that as him trying to distance himself from the Sicilian Oh, he's doing a Hawthorne thing? Yeah, you know what I mean, right? Uh, And so I think that... uh, Maybe that's what's going on there, or it's just one of those things where they, you know, maybe they told Al Pacino on set, Corleone, say Corleone. He's like, (laughs) no, I'm not going to do that. Then we have Marlon Brando as Vito Corleone, Mm -hmm. the original Mm -hmm. Godfather. Yes. Who's pretty good in this role. I didn't expect much from Marlon Brando. Really? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. The stuff we've seen him in so far, I've just been like, eh. I mean, Streetcar Named Desire, he was pretty good. Yeah, but he wasn't the focal. I think the female leads in that film were way better than he was. True, true. And then on the waterfront, I was just like, who cares? I mean, it was crazy to have Fat Brando in Apocalypse Now. Yeah, oh yeah, Fat Brando. But he's he's more of a figure. Right. I mean, he's Kurt, right? So he's supposed to be this built-up, crazy, mystical figure. So I think that's more speaking to the character than the actor in that case. Yeah, yeah. Diane Keaton is K. Diane Keaton. 
Then we have James Caan as Sonny, Robert Duvall as Tom. So a lot of big names in this movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, I should mention Fredo is his older brother, not his younger brother. Oh, really? Isn't it crazy? Because you look at him, you think, ah, Fredo's the dumb idiot third brother. But no, he's actually older because it's at the end when he visits him, he says, Fredo, you're my older brother. And I was like, what? Oh. It's like they put that line in there to remind everyone, yes, Fredo's an idiot, but he's still the older brother. He's, well, and the, uh, our current uh, president uh, likes to call people Fredo. Well, see, that's we'll not a, yeah, I was going to say that's not a reference point for this film yet. Not not really, no. I mean, other than that, we know that he's kind of bumbling. Yeah, and I had known about the Fredo thing actually because of an episode of the IT Crowd. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen that. Mm-hmm. And I have not. <laughs> very much worth a watch on Netflix, but Richard Iowate and all those fun British actors, but... So that was that was one of those points, which I think gets me to larger points of like I knew about the horse head thing, and actually as a mm-hmm. kid when people were talking about it, I was like that sounds horrifying, and it wasn't <laughs> nearly as horrifying. Well, no, I think I think in my watching of it this time, it was more horrifying than it had been to me before. I think when I watched this originally, I was like, so what? It's a fucking horse head. It's not a big deal. But this time when I when I rewatched it, I thought. Imagine waking up in your bed and you're and and you see this guy where he's like something's wet and then there's all the blood and then there's just this thing that's been in the bed. I mean that I think is really fucking awful. It's bad, but Walt, the director who has taken this personal revenge against Johnny, the godson of the Godfather, because he stole his protege, and mm-hmm. I was like, as he's going through it, how much money he spent on this girl. I was like, there's no way this was just a business deal. And then he says, yeah, like he says something really crude about her. I think he said something like I've had ass from all over the world and this was the best or something. Yeah, something like that. So yeah. that's his motivation. So I'm like, screw this guy. He goes out and shows yeah. Tom the horse Khartoum, who is worth six hundred thousand dollars. who he's just going to use to stud. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. But this guy doesn't care about this horse. Like he doesn't no, care he doesn't. about it in that way. He cares about the money, and so that's why he they does. cut the horse's head off. And I was like, I don't really feel bad for the guy because he didn't love that horse. Like he loved the money. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't feel bad for him either. I just think that it's. I mean, that's a fucked up. It's it's it, it was it's horrifying. I mean, it's scary. Uh, but he but he does deserve it. Yeah, he does. I always just imagined it way more scary like i thought the horse's head was next to him in bed not at his feet i thought it was at night instead of the morning so it's just funny how your imagination of something is completely different than the reality of it but yeah that's actually kind of another point with the rest of this film which butts up with things that i also heard about before right leave the gun take the cannoli right that's always on a list of famous improv improv oh my gosh improvised lines (laughs) and that's actually accurate it's quoting but the whole like day of my daughter's wedding thing like that's often misquoted i've only heard it in the misquote in fact there's a lot of things that i thought oh i get this i know this is from this film i I recognize this as the starting point for this but it's misquoted Mm -hmm. it's like the play it again sam of casablanca right yeah i think i think the higher up we go on the list the more we see the the sort of misquoted lines happening have you have you noticed that too yeah and it's interesting because you think like these are obviously important things for us culturally because they slip into language decades and decades after their original creation and so people who have never seen them are saying the lines mm-hmm. 
but we don't get them right. <laughs> it's like a game of telephone, I guess, but it's just kind of funny to see how that is, you know, changed over time as opposed to what the actual line was. Yeah, the sentiment is still the same. Sure. Yeah, I haven't seen a, a quote that was like completely different than intended. But yeah, it's weird. It's just a weird thing. You know, this actually raises a question as well with where Michael's on the phone with Kay and she says, I love you. And he says, yeah, I know. Is that taken to then be in Star Wars? Did George Lucas take that? I don't know. Because it's not very long after this that we get the, like, I think 80, because that's Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, 1980. Well, and that line was meant to have been, at least in Star Wars, it was meant to have been improvised, because I think it was originally written as I Love You Too. Mm. Uh, And and the lore goes that Harrison Ford changed it on set. And so maybe there is a, maybe we can sort of plot a line, because, you know, Coppola and um, Lucas were, good friends and it's also like lucas does everything right he takes from everybody Mm -hmm. and wants to put in his movie think of all the stuff he takes from kurosawa and so it's Mm -hmm. like he wears his influences on his sleeve there's nothing wrong with that necessarily but it's like wait does that line that we all attribute to star wars actually come from this movie yeah i did notice that here uh as as quite similar and maybe i mean maybe we can sort of we can uh plant the flag here for that <laughs> until we find an earlier instance i suppose yeah yeah so i want to turn to our pivotal scene which okay i think is actually pivotal right it's about an hour and 15 in it's where mike decides to be embroiled in the family business yes so this is where he has decided he's going to kill Salazzo and mccluskey we should also mention mccluskey mm-hmm. that actor is the Dr. Strangelove, is he a general or a major that's like slowly going oh. crazy with Peter Sellers in the office? Yes, that is him. Yeah, he's just a little bit older, obviously, but I was like, oh, I recognize that guy. And I saw this Dr. Strangelove. I was like, him. yep, sure enough. Yeah. So let's listen to this scene and we'll talk about it. Can't wait. I can't wait. I don't care what Celeso says about a deal. He's going to kill Pop. That's it. That's a key for him. Gotta get Celeso. Mike is right. Well, let me ask you something, Plus. I mean, what about this McCluskey? Huh? What do we do with this? Copy. They want to have a meeting with me, right? It will be me, McCluskey, and Salenza. Let's set the meeting. Get our informers to find out where it's going to be held. Now, we insist it's a public place, a bar, a restaurant, some place where there's people so I feel safe. They're going to search me when I first meet them, right? So I can't have a weapon on me then. But if Clemenza can figure a way to have a weapon planted there for me, Then I'll kill them both. <laughs> hey, what are you going to do? Nice college boy, huh? Didn't want to get mixed up in the family business? Huh? Now you want to gun down a police captain? Why, because he slapped you in the face a little bit? Huh? What do you think, this is the army where you shoot him a mile away? You got to get up close like this, and bada-bing, you blow their brains all over your nice cyber league suit. 
Come here. You're taking this very personal. Tom, this is business, and this man is taking it very, very personal. Where does it say that you can't kill a cop? Come on, Mikey. Tom, wait a minute. I'm talking about a cop that's mixed up in drugs. I'm talking about a, a, a dishonest cop, a crooked cop who got mixed up in the rackets and got what was coming to him. That's a terrific story. And we have newspaper people on the payroll, don't we, Tom? They might like a story like that. They might. They just might. Okay, again, the reason I've chosen this is that it's an actual pivot in the film. Mike has been mm-hmm. on the periphery of this, which, as a brief aside, I think that 30-minute opener of the wedding mixed with all these mob deals in the background. Great comparison. And also really gets you familiarized with the family without having to be like super expositional about it. Right. And we know Mike's on the outside, right? He's a war hero. Everyone talks about he's a war hero. We never really know about his experience in the war which I think is fine. I think a flashback would really cheapen this movie. Mm-hmm. And then he decides, like, look, I'm coming in because this is right after the scene where he's in the hospital and no one's around. It's because McCluskey's pulled them all off so the hit can go off, basically. And he's just mm-hmm. realizing how embroiled everyone is already in these mob dealings. And only person's going to get hurt, to his mind, is his dad. So he's going to step in. and he, So he does this for his father, effectively. And, yeah. and that's what the fallout of the rest of the movie is. Yeah, because, I mean, really, at the end of the day, this is a film about watching Michael become the the sort of, I guess, uh, I was going to say protagonist to the antagonist, but that's not exactly it. He goes from protagonist to, like, anti-hero to villain, almost. I mean, he he's, by, by the end of this film, he is, I mean, he has... A ton of people murdered, including his family members. Well, right. So it's his brother-in-law. Brother-in-law, whatever. But but still, and his brother-in-law is a scuzzbag and deserved it. But who got his actual brother killed? Yeah, and so so we do see Michael, and I think you're right. I mean, this is the moment uh, where you know where it it congeals for him. I think that you know getting hit in the jaw by McCluskey is what sort of knocks him out of the the sort of straight and narrow. And then this is where it, it congeals where he's like, I'm going to do this. Well, I would say it knocks him out of the idea that there is a straight and narrow, right? That people are good or they're bad or they're involved in the business or not. But he sees this New York police captain involved yeah. in drug trade. So he's like, Oh yeah. my gosh, like this runs so deep. And I, I agree that he definitely goes from something of a good guy to a bad guy. But he's still the protagonist, right? He's a villain and a yes, protagonist yes. at the end of the film. Yeah. And this may reflect poorly on me, but as does last like five minutes were playing out, I was laughing. And that's not oh. a, a normal response, you'd think, to watching a <laughs> baptismal alongside the, oh, yeah, the deaths blood, yeah. of all these mob bosses. In fact, it's kind of the opposite scene in a different way of that wedding mob scene right we have a wedding and a birth mm-hmm. very shakespearean in that way but we start with a wedding and sort of noted that at the beginning like oh we're beginning with a wedding that's interesting which means yeah. you can only go down from here right and so you have yes, absolutely him being asked if he renounces satan in all of his ways and his pomps which i was like what pomps does satan have that you have right. to renounce but <laughs> leaving that aside he's disavowing all these satan works as we're watching people get murdered and then he just like gives the craziest straight up lie to his wife to her face oh, 
yes. in at the end, and then she buys it because you can tell the character wants to believe him. Yeah, and then she as she walks out, looks back, she sees just how ensconced he is as this Don, and you see the doubt cross her face, and you're like, oh man, that it's just so well done. I think we should talk about the the those we should talk about the baptism scene and the wedding as one chunk and then we should talk about that final scene because that final scene is I mean that is cinematic masterpiece that that the last 4 minutes of this movie are are there's so much to to unpack and 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 talk about but I think you're right I think that we really can we can bookend the the film based on the the way we see uh, Don Vito and and Don Michael right deal with the, their family. I mean, the first thirty minutes of this film are about are, are the focus really is family with the with the mob shit happening in the background, right? Happening in the in back rooms with the shades drawn away from the women, right? Uh, you, you know, in this in this, I mean, that's Don Don Vito's whole thing. He's like, you can't. I'm, you can't come to me and just ask me to murder this guy. If you come to me as a friend and you ask me for a favor with friendship, then I'll help you out. But you know what I mean? Like that's his. So his whole thing is that it's not about the the mafia stuff isn't in the forefront. But with Michael, I think we see something very different because he's he's lying to everybody, intends on murdering one of the people in the room with him, uh, as as he's saying this stuff, and he's sitting there lying to to his god. Right? Straight up lying to God. I get that, but also I think it's not the case that Vito was not also doing these things. Like, he sounds like he's all like, I'll be a friend to you if you be a friend to me. But it's just because favors are more important than money. And that's just a business decision. So I think it's very easy to look at these mobsters and think, ah, honorable organized crime. Those were the days. (laughs) <laughs> but I think it's actually something more insidious, right? It's just a different way of control. And I think the film, judging by how it ends with all this stuff going crazy, we have, you know, the enunciation of Satan during all of this. That Denunciation of Satan. Well, no, it's enunciation because we brought Satan up. Like, we well, didn't, yeah, we didn't have right. to bring yeah. Satan up. We didn't have to have a baptismal. And we have Satan right. brought up, brought to the lips of the film, so to speak. And I think that's what's important because it's showing us just how bad Michael has become by stepping into this business. And the film is catching a critical eye on that, not because of his killings, because we do the same thing. But when we have Kay look back at him in that office at the end, I think now we're supposed to go, oh, no, like. Yes, yes, because she knows. And the door closes on her. Yeah. I mean, the the last shot of this film is the door closing on her. Not her watching the door being closed, but it's it's us closing the door, right? We're, we are watching as though we're in the room with, with Michael. And she knows. She knows in that moment when, they're, when they call him Don Corleone and they fucking kiss his ring uh, and they close the door on her. She that that's a symbolic closing, right? That that is a wall being put up in their marriage. She's lied to her, and she's not like the other women that we see in this film, because the other women we see in this film are either mostly silent or content to let the men run the show. Uh, and Kay, I think we're probably going to see in the second film. It's been so long since I've seen the second one. 
But Kay is not going to be, I think, the good mob wife that she is is sort of meant to be. Right. And I, there's a lot to be said about the women in this film. And I think the best place to do that would be in our three questions. Sure. Before we do that, however, let's talk about Anchor. Okay. Okay. First question. What do we owe to this film? Well, I mean... I think that you we can't you just don't talk about mobster movies without The Godfather. I mean, it is the it is both the sort of culmination uh, and distillation of mobster films that, but but also sort of creates. I mean, it does so much. It's generative, but it's also you know sort of reproductive. Uh, it it really sort of um solidifies all of these mobster things i mean it is the perfect mobster movie yeah i agree with that it is the perfect mobster movie it is the archetypical mobster movie we have stuff like on the waterfront which you already mentioned which also stars marlon brando come before it but that's not really about the mob in the same way that this film is yeah that later films like goodfellas the departed donnie brasco scarface as like we see these organized crime as the central figures, right? They are the protagonists of these films, but they're also yeah. bad people. Yeah. It would be interesting to, to look at some of the older um, mobster movies that come before this, like the like original Scarface. I wonder how that compares to something like this. Uh, and obviously, I mean, this takes, I mean, this takes all the noir stuff too. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this is one of those genres and one of those films in particular that, that pulls from all from a bunch of I mean because there is there is thriller here right this is a this is a thriller in some ways this is a bit of a noir right mm-hmm. this is obviously the mobster movie this is a crime movie right there it's a family drama i mean it it's pulled together all these disparate pieces and tied them into a cohesive whole and i think that's part of what makes this movie great yeah i would agree with that so let's ask our next question does this film hold up i think that it does in a lot of ways. I think that maybe you were leading us towards one way in which it doesn't hold up. Or perhaps maybe, I don't know, we can discuss it. But the, its treatment of women is is problematic. Yeah. So the thing about that that I wanted to talk about is not that this film is bad to women. The characters are bad to women. I'm not convinced the film is. I think the film is very aware of the fact that it uses women like currency that it is there for alliances it feels like very monarchical right we're doing like these alliances that michael does in sicily when he marries Mm -hmm. apollonia and then she's just dispensed with he just goes back to america and he's like well i need another girl because like i just need it how Sonny treats his wife and he has a mistress also how carlo beats connie who is pregnant right like it's yeah it's a it's a condemnation of this kind of system that acts to be honorable Right. And and part of you is like, yeah, Sonny beat that guy up for beating his sister. But Sonny is sleeping around on his wife at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I think the film's very aware of that. And I think that portrayal is intentional. So I give it a little more credit than saying, like, this movie's bad to women and doesn't know it. Right. It's not like the yeah. some like it hot issue of we have this this claim that women are treated as a spectacle. But then the movie does just that. Right. So right. I don't think it falls pray to that as much but we don't get very much of their voice and so i think that's still something to be concerned about right Kay could be more of a character she's not she's pushed aside but that's also again kind of the point so i'm in a hard place i think there but 
I don't think this film is unaware of what it's doing. No, yeah, I think that I think it very specifically shows how these women are are little more than sort of set dress. I mean, even the even the conflict between Carlo and Sonny isn't really about Connie. It's about Carlo being upset that he's not included in the in uh, at least in the way he'd like to be in the family, right? Mm-hmm. It's really about the men. And so Connie literally becomes a a uh a catalyst, right? Carlo I think has the I think all of that set up where he has the phone call that she answers so that she'll get angry so that he can beat her so that she can call Sonny so that Sonny can get gunned down. Yeah. I mean he that's that's all set up, right? So it's only about him and Sonny. And it, you know, and and I think the the closest we get in terms of a, a of a woman, you know, that that isn't simply a bargaining chip or a token to be traded or or some sort of catalyst is Kay, right? I think that's why the film ends with her, which is to say that like she, she I mean, she's a an independent woman. She almost doesn't get back with Michael, right? And I think that she is in for maybe more than she thought. And I mean, he lies to her though. And the entire time, right. He says, we're going to be legitimate. You know, he says, I didn't do this. Well, he says five years, right. So he actually might be right in five years. They might have cleaned house enough to where they're legitimate. Who knows? Who? Well, I guess we'll find out. Right. <laughs> yeah. But you're right about Kay being the one with a little more agency. I do find that to be somewhat of an issue is that she is the like stock white character of the film mm-hmm. yeah well because she's outside of the yeah she's outside of it though right which is also i think what marks her as a, a different kind of woman right she's not willing to to fill the role of mafia wife in the same way that maybe some of the because even even connie right is just she's okay with people getting murdered as long as it's not her husband yeah but that reflects poorly on like italian women let's say well, yeah, yeah, I think that, yeah, I think that is, I mean, there's certainly problems there, definitely. Uh, but I think, I think her race is maybe meant to mark her as an outsider. Uh, but you're right. I think that does present a, a, a sort of, especially in the time period this is set. Uh, and they really go pretty heavy with the anti-Italian, uh, you know, Well, language. there's a lot of racial slurs throughout, yeah. not just for Italians, yeah. as it turns out. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of fun. We should turn to our third and final question. Do we care about this film? I think the answer is is yes. I mean, I, I think that this is a film that, on top of everything we've discussed so far, um, has some, some prescient, uh, has a prescient aspect to it right now. Because this is a film that is also about how, you know, the, the mafia is presented here as a seriously viable alternative to the real American justice system. The American justice system, the movie starts with this, with the uh, character, um, the the mortician who wants Don Vito to kill the guys that beat up his uh, daughter, right? He's like, I went to the police. The police couldn't help me. We went to, we went to court. They were convicted, but they were let off. They didn't, nothing happened, right? And if you, so if you want true justice, right, you have to go to, the mafia, which comes with its own, you know, can of worms to be opened here. Uh, and, and I think we're at a moment in American history where it's clear that the, the justice system, the, you know, law enforcement is, is 
corrupt to a point that is perhaps un, unredeemable, un, unsavable, right? Uh, so that's interwoven in, in this family drama, in this thing that's about, you know, becoming a villain and, or, or maintaining virtue or, or what have you. That's all interwoven in there. I, yeah, I think this is a great film. Yeah, I definitely think I follow in the line with a lot of what you said. I, you know, it was a very long film. It never felt like it to me. I was just no. enmeshed in the situation and was just kind of enjoying the ride, as it were. And I, I don't know. I, I just, it felt like it was really well realized, exactly what it wanted to do. And I think that's a pretty big metric for me is what does the film want to do? Did it work? And then it's like, well, then how do I feel about it? And yeah. It's very successful, obviously, in that regard. And then I do like, you know, character-driven stories as much as I like plot-driven stories. And I like to see these these descents, right? These spirals. And it's it's well executed. I can't say that enough, obviously. Also, this doesn't really fit anywhere, but it's something I wanted to bring up. 45 minutes in, you see a, a poster for Jake LaMotta. Yes, I saw that. Yes! And and I had this moment where I was like, oh shit, this is this is it's Scorsese putting in a thing, and then I was like, wait a second, this is Coppola, not Scorsese. But yeah. I think that that is a nod to that. It's got to be right. Well, I, yeah, I don't know. I guess I mean it's the other way around, right? Because Raging Bull is later, so Raging Bull. Oh, Raging Bull is later. Oh shit. But it's possible that he was. I don't know. I guess it'd be hard to say. Like I make a whole movie as a nod to one small thing in The Godfather. So it might just be that it's one of those times, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think we're in pretty much agreement on this. So before we end this episode, we should remind people we will be back with part two this week. So keep an eye out for that in the feed and we'll see where it goes. We won't be doing part three because I think we both agreed. And and I've heard things, you know, sort of in the yeah, ether it's not good. that it's not it's worth not the watch. So we'll do that. And then we'll have some bonus episodes and we'll be back for Citizen Kane. And this will be in the books, as it were. Yeah, yeah. We're drawing very closely to the end. So I guess there's nothing more to say than until next time. I've been Matt Bazell. And I'm Ethan Knight. And there will be spoilers. Uh, should I make you an offer you can't spoil? <laughs> I... Where you... I make you an offer you can't spoil. There Will Be Spoilers 100 Films 100 Podcasts was created and hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. Matt Bazell produces our episodes each week. Our music was created by the strange and unusual Breakmaster Cylinder, who you can find all over the internet. Our artwork was created by Becca Knight, who can be found on Twitter at Becca the Knight, and that's Knight with a K. You can follow There Will Be Spoilers on Twitter at SpoilersCast, and you can hear more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like our podcast, you can support us on Patreon for $5 a month at patreon.com slash spoilerscast. Your donation gives you access to two extra bonus episodes a month. Thank you for listening, and please tune in next week for more spoilers.